0: Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to
1: Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, your host for today's episode. And we're so excited to be on location at Mass Architecture and Design, a unique design firm located in Chicago whose collaborative style process helps them ensure that individuals and families of a space that they can comfortably live and work in. Joining me from NMOS today are Mike Shively, founding partner, Lucas Goldbach, founding partner and design director, and Ross Rangilian, associate and head of commercial and developer products. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Thank we're, you. We're excited to be here. So thanks for inviting us to your space. We did take a look around. It is it's a space that i was kind of saying this before where it's like i shouldn't be surprised that it's so cool because you're an architecture firm but it's so well thought out and, and obviously has a direction as to what you were hoping to get so now that you you have it here is this sort of what you are hoping to see this space become
0: yeah it's particularly special to me um i live upstairs so uh Built the building in 2019 and, you know, much like the concept of the firm, and mass, which means all together, kind of a theme of the building was mm-hmm. bringing everything together in my life um, and in, you know, the diversity of the firm's experience sort of into one uh, building. So our first floor here is uh, where we welcome clients and engage with the community. We're in our conference room space. And adjacent to us here, we have um, our coffee bar that we use to host community events and, you know, to give the staff a place to break out and, um, you know, have some time out of the studio space, which is on the second floor. Uh, We all work up there in a a very collaborative environment. Um, On the third floor, we have an Airbnb that serves the community here in Logan Square. And then I live on the fourth floor with my partner, Bryce.
1: For those who may not be as familiar with the Logan Square neighborhood, can you tell us about a little bit about the neighborhood and why this space fits so well into it?
0: Yeah, so we sort of looked long and hard to find a place to build the building. Um, It's somewhat unique in Chicago that you have a live-work sort of environment with a residential component upstairs and our studio space downstairs. So purely from a zoning standpoint, we were sort of limited in where we could... um, you know, find a place to build this, yeah. and I always had this personal uh, dream of uh, my my fourth floor space is actually glass on all four sides. Oh wow! You know, there's uh, Lucas often says light is one of our most precious resources here in Chicago, and I personally suffer a lot from seasonal depression yeah. disorder in those gray months. So yeah. I really wanted a place that even on the most gray days I could experience, um, you know, what's happening all around me. Mm-hmm. And so what's cool about the Logan Square neighborhood is um, we're on that diagonal with the blue line and Chicago, and you get these really great views of the city skyline, you know, looking down Milwaukee Avenue. Um, it's also just an interesting neighborhood in that, um, you know, it's still sort of like, it hasn't uh, filled in as much as some of the neighborhoods on the east side. So there's a lot of really interesting diversity here. There's a great food scene. There's a lot of great um, bars and, you know, nightlife. And then one of the prime reasons we ultimately picked this location is that most people in the firm actually live in this neighborhood. Wow. And so, you know, in contrast to a lot of the more traditional architecture firms down in the loop, um, most people that work here walk to the office yeah. and, um, you know, it really can just become a part of their their daily life.
1: Yeah. Uh, I love that. I, I moved like in the area that our office is in because I, I'm like, I, I live two blocks from our office. So I'm like, I don't want to have to commute. If I have to go there every day, I want to be there. I want to, you know, get to be a little more a part of it. And it is interesting downtown because it's a very different thing, right? It's like business district mostly, a lot of tourists. But so when I come to the neighborhoods, it's so fun to be here. Um, Lucas, can you tell us, if you live in the area here, um, what your experience with it is like and what's so special about Logan Square especially?
2: Yeah, I mean, Logan Square is frankly the best. I I live... about 300 feet away from here (laughs) so the commute is minimal um and what really is i think special about having a firm in logan square and living in logan square is that there's such a street life here people are out at all times of day there's people of different walks of life there's you know a huge range of shops and restaurants and all the things that i find just so inspiring you know just as a creative person and i think it also just like keeps our eyes you know trained to see what's new and what's next and the other thing about Logan Square is there is a incredible building stock here of like gorgeous homes gorgeous commercial properties a lot of history but also a lot of new and modern things as well so all of those things I think combine really well and I think that's why in recent years a lot of firms like ours have moved from downtown and like sort of the more traditionally located firms to neighborhoods like Logan Square because they're constantly evolving and they have a real energy to them. I think that's a great point about,
1: uh, you know, a lot of times when we see pictures or video of Chicago, uh, maybe the news is using it, maybe, you know, people outside of Chicago, especially that are using these stock photos of Chicago. It's always the skyline, right? It's it's the lake, it's the lakefront, it's the skyline. And you're like, yeah, that I guess that's what sells the city to people outside of the city. But for you, Ross, what is it that's special about here? What is it that is meaningful for you about being away from that and more in a residential,
3: true like Chicago neighborhood. Yeah, for sure. So what's nice about the neighborhoods in Chicago is they really just support a great balance of kind of the big city living with kind of the more casual conveniences of just residential side of it. Um, We have nice yards, we have garages, but at the same time we can be downtown in 15 minutes. And I think that that balance allows us to kind of be more comfortable in this environment, um, have that kind of more engaging relationship with our clients. Like we're able to kind of have this beautiful roof deck off mm-hmm. of our garage in the back. We're able to open up our, um, our front windows to the street. So then that way we can kind of engage with the community a little bit more. And overall, I think it's just a really great balance of kind of that capital A architecture that's happening in downtown, but also then kind of the creative local talent that's actually here. Like, it just feels more um, true, I think, to kind of be in the Logan Square neighborhood and the people here are really supportive of the creative industries and ultimately the neighborhood at large.
1: And I think that uh, there must be this understanding that's happening around the city of this work-life, this hybrid, you know, this sort of commercial on the floor and tenants above sort of space, because uh, I've heard that there are some spaces downtown that are going to convert over to have more residential either apartments or condos in them. And so is, is this a concept that you're seeing really pick up steam, become more frequent this whole live work in the same building or, or, you know, will we still walk down the street and see businesses and then houses? Do we
2: see any change in that coming or have you sensed that as well? I mean, I think that it's like one of those things that was the way of living and working in the past. And Mm -hmm. we sort of got away from it with sort of like the commuter lifestyle and, you know, going down to a city center. But I think as, you know, work has spread out to be not always Mm -hmm. in the office and is happening more at home. You know, I think the like live work kind of sensibility that, you know, maybe our great grandparents had in neighborhoods like these um, is really returning and I think that people want to you know have a short commute or they want to have flexibility and I think that a lot of people are also you know really diving into their passions and you know some of those smaller commercial spaces are ways to you know achieve that.
3: Yeah. And I think Chicago really does support kind of pedestrian friendly, friendly streets mm-hmm. and once again, that kind of more neighborhood vibe. And you definitely see a lot of people wanting to kind of merge their work with their life in yeah. some sort of way. And so by carving out the ground floor to kind of be a small office space um, allows them to take their largest investment. And kind of merge two different interests that they have as opposed to kind of keeping those elements completely separate. Uh, to Lucas's point that flexibility I think is ultimately what people are looking for and I think that kind of idea of creating place within neighborhoods is really what's driving a lot of these decisions.
1: Yeah and Mike when you were sharing with me about the space it kind of seems like maybe you were ahead of the curve a little bit in this because one of the things that I really sensed when you were, you were sharing was that there's a lot of intention behind how this is all set up, and just like, because one of the questions I asked before was, you know, about how is this sort of what you envisioned, and 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 not just in like there's a table here, there's a coffee bar, there's a desk upstairs, but in like the doors that open to the front, and you have the patio out back, and the workspace, and you were sharing with me about how people work in this space. Um, with all of that, I guess, it, it's no longer live slash work, but it's live and work, mm-hmm. as we were talking a little bit about that. But how, how does that, how do you think about the balance of that when you're creating these spaces, and especially this one here, where it is so much like live on top of work, how do you think about the balance of keeping both of those things, you know, in, in this sort of healthy, I can live and I can work and I can be comfortable in both spaces, but need to be away from one when I need to do the other?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, architecture is sort of in my blood. It's uh, really what I wanted to do my whole life. And so, um, you know, in a lot of ways, for me, this building is a culmination of all my passions kind of in one place. But I think it's a particularly relevant building, you know, to the type of work that we do because you know, our goal with all of our clients, whether it's a, a, a custom home for someone or a second home for someone or an office space or a cafe or, you know, any of the commercial projects we do, you know, we don't sort of come at it with our own sort of stamp of like, this is the style, uh, you know, we think you should be. What we're ultimately trying to do is really make the best of what our client is looking for. Mm. Right. So, you know, getting to know them, getting to know, you know, what about their life, you know, could, could be enhanced by the space that they're in and then creating the, the space, you know, for that, for that task or that idea. And so it's really, I think interesting for our clients to come to a space like this where I actually live and where, you know, everyone that works here and lives close by and really in some ways treats this like their home because um, you know, there's little lessons throughout the building of how you can uh, you know, how I live my best life and how we can offer that to our clients. Yeah.
1: It's kind of funny. I don't know why I randomly thought about this, but I, I'm going to ask you, Ross, because I'm going to come back to <laughs> on another topic here. But in school, I never thought about this before, but architects, in my opinion, are kind of nerds because <laughs> the the people who spend the most amount of time doing school work or in <laughs> what, like I I was a science, so like lab, but but. I mean, we had, I was in a fraternity, we had one guy who was an architect major, and I never saw that guy. Like, he was always in the studio or doing, you know, work, and I'm like, dude, you know, what, what is this major that you are? But uh, do, do people always understand architecture and, and the work that goes behind it and sort of what, what you had to do to be able to do what you're doing now?
3: Yeah, so obviously architecture is kind of that merger of a professional practice, but also um, blending in creativity and kind of really getting out of it what you put into it. So in many way, most of us are kind of artists trying to figure out and ultimately curate what story we want to tell by the buildings that we kind of put into this world. So the time that goes into it is literally just time of developing and training and ultimately coming up with your kind of own language, your own style, your own values. Um, And it's super important because it's building a building is extremely uh, costly. It's, time consuming it's someone's life is going into that building itself so mm-hmm. i think all of us kind of in a way struggle with making sure that we are ultimately putting that best foot forward with everything that we're doing and those values are somewhat trained in kind of um, the education process, yeah. but overall, um, I would argue that it trains you to be a creative thinker, and mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily such a linear path. It's not a formula. It's not an equation. It's a very roundabout way to kind of get to the answer yeah. that you need to get to, and overall I think all of us somewhat enjoy that level of curiosity Mm. and that's kind of why you don't see us when we're (laughs) in studio yeah Yeah.
1: when I be like oh yeah he's in this frat too I forgot for sure um Lucas one of the things that I, I saw in your bio that I thought was interesting um you talked about the details of things and I'm a detail guy. I like the details. I, I like that saying the devil's in the details where it's like, you know, pay attention to that. Um, and for you, when you're doing your work or even working with people here, what is it about detail that's important to you? And, and how does that sort of have an effect on the client?
2: I mean I think there's multiple ways that details come into the process like I think we think about a building at the macro and sort of maybe what it looks like or the big functions of it but also down to those little touch points you know like Mm. the doorknob is the thing that you interact with most in your house often and you know we want to make sure that that functions and looks amazing and feels great just as the spaces will function for you But I also think details when it comes to sort of like client services and sort of collaborating with clients or the team is really a lot about like empathy. I think that understanding what people want and sort of like reading through maybe like the sort of language gap you may have with your client. You know, we talk about buildings and spaces and projects all the time. So we have a really developed language for what that is. But clients come in often with less of that. So it's a lot of sort of like really thinking through and listening carefully to what they want and need, asking really thoughtful questions and being really curious. Cause I think curiosity is collaboration. I think that we are a very curious group of people that really wants to know about uh, our clients and what they want. And I think that that is kind of where we then start to develop this wide range of styles and project types and things yeah. like that. Cause we're just interested in all of it.
1: Yeah, and to kind of build on that, uh, Mike, I read this in your in your bio, too, about um, you said a, mich- a house is a machine for living in. And um, that kind of got me thinking of a smart house. I don't know. <laughs> but it was interesting because I was like, a house is a machine for living in. And when you think about your space, there's so many machines in there. And even the things that don't seem like it kind of all these processes kind of happen. You go about your days or your weeks very similarly, where it's like, okay, maybe you do laundry on this day. You do, you know, people are um, meal planning on certain days. Like we do get into this, um, this process of life, I think. And so for your space to kind of help that be efficient, I think would be a really positive thing. Um, But can you share more about how, you help people kind of make this machine something that makes their lives easier or makes it work?
0: Yeah, well, I'll answer that kind of more on the the personal level of the people that are actually here. I mean, you know, like I said, I've always uh, been interested in being an architect and, you know, sort of like Ross talked about when you're in school, you're very much thinking about, you know, arches and you know, different facets of architecture and how they're all going to come together. I really never got any training specifically on on leading an architecture firm or managing people. That's something yeah. I had to sort of figure out over time as, you know, the firm grew. But one thing that I that that sort of came to as a realization to me pretty early on is that, you know, Everyone's got, somebody really smart once said to me, like always hire people smarter than you. <laughs> and I think that's there's some real value to that in that, um, you know, get to know the people that you're working with, um, get to know what they're really good at, put them in the best role that they can be in and give them the best resources to do the things that they're good at. Because when you empower the people around you and when you sort of build them up to be their best, you're ultimately getting, you know, the best results yeah. for the organization.
1: Yeah. and. And along with that, the way that you've set up the studio here where people are learning from each other, you're not just learning from what you're doing, but you're learning from what happens around you. I think that was really interesting to me because I never really thought about that. Just, yes, I, you know, I've thought about, you know, the whole coaching and mentoring. You find someone who has a lot of experience so you can learn from their experience, but just learning from your environment as well, I think is really important.
0: Yeah, we talked upstairs about how um, we we sort of naturally divided the office into sort of the social and uh, meeting spaces downstairs and then the collaborative workspace upstairs. And so in doing that, we ended up with this very dense collaborative space where you literally hear, um, especially for some of the loud talkers in the office, (laughs) like, uh, you know, everyone that's on the phone, what sort of challenges are they dealing with? You know, what's happening on their project? We have some big pin-up boards in the office where, uh, you know, you can post the sketches you've been working on or the renderings you've done that you're really proud of. And I think that the the ramifications of all that are just sort of, it, it sort of naturally happens that everyone in the office is aware of everything that's happening in the office. And so there's a lot of learning that can just happen um, by soaking all that in without, you know, dedicating a specific time for us all to catch up on different projects. We can all just sort of stay in the loop of what's going on. It's yeah. been a real benefit.
1: I, I feel like that's happened in every area in some ways and in what you're describing, just kind of learning from your environment. But Ross, one of the other ways that that's happened is through social media. Obviously, it's just exploded. And I don't know if you're on threads yet, but you know, <laughs> now you got to get on threads. Get on threads. So yeah. Um, but it's really changed the game for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you share with us for architecture specifically, what it's done and how, you know, you want to leverage that for what this is building in the future, continuing to build.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say Lucas actually does most of our social media, so I'll let him follow up to anything I say. Um, But I do think that social media has kind of given uh, architecture firms, especially smaller ones, a platform to be able to reach kind of their audience in particular. Um, It allows us to kind of uh, tell our lifestyle and show kind of inside the walls of what's actually happening behind an architectural studio. Um, It's also a way for us to engage with a wider base of people, like what we do for a living not everyone has the ability to partake in um, just because it is a very expensive trade Mm -hmm. to kind of get involved with. But the reality is, is the lessons that we learn in here are very beneficial to many different types of people and also can help people understand ways to kind of incorporate some amazing design ideas into their own home. So I think overall, just like exposure in general has really been the benefit of social media um, and also just the barrier of entry of marketing. Like it allows us to use those platforms to really reach wider audiences without having to spend a lot of money for huge marketing campaigns yeah. or ultimately advertising in magazines that are seen by our mm-hmm. peers as opposed to our potential clients.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
3: I think the the big thing that
2: it lets us do is um you know first show not only our work which is obviously something that we have to do as architects and as professionals but also show who our team is and give people a clear understanding of like what our you know ethos is and what our culture is here because that is a huge part of hiring an architect you do have a relationship with Mm -hmm. them for sometimes multiple years um so i think it's a good way to sort of introduce people to who we are um but also like i think a big uh, part of our like target market or the people that end up hiring us are people who are sort of quote unquote digital natives, people who grew up with social media, people who understand how it works. And I think that, you know, they really find us through that, pl- those platforms. And I think it's a, it's provided them actually with a lot of tools to come to us with ideas about what they like and don't like, and gives us a lot to respond to as designers and architects to, you know, again, like, finesse that style and sort of speak the language that they know how to speak.
3: Yeah. And and on top of that, too, I think it also fosters creative competition within our own community itself. It's always great to see what our friends are doing um, at other firms or other organizations. And in many ways, I think it's really raised the bar for a lot of, especially local designers, to kind of, like pull from each other and actually draw from things that they've done just because the the volume of information that is happening through social media now is far greater than, oh, I should go and check their website or yeah. I should go like brush up on what they're doing. Like it I don't know. It's kind of fun to kind of see how the whole community is growing.
1: Yeah. Which ultimately I would think the the people that win the most would be the clients and that having that sort of healthy level of competition the yeah. clients have to be For sure come out huge winners in that mm-hmm. yeah.
0: for sure and you can follow us on social media at, <laughs> at, at <laughs> <and Bass>. it's <laughs> not a shameless plug yeah. a plugs, right?
2: so, yes
1: yes so mike I, I do want to make sure that we get we, we talk about how you built the firm not necessarily the physical space we've talked a little bit about that but also how you built it um, from uh, a corporate perspective or or um you know talk a little bit about how creating a company, you kind of looked at that from an architecture perspective and how you ended up here, because I think it's really interesting to learn about how this sort of, that sort of informed this.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, I I never had any sort of advanced uh, or specialized training in, you know, business management. A lot of it has just sort of evolved from, you know, sort of my gut on things. But, um, I've sort of developed over time this concept of like a three-legged stool, right? The the sort th- three pillars of the firm, which are sort of represented right here, are. Um You know, I come at things, uh, I was a project manager uh, prior to, you know, starting the firm six years ago. So I always come at things with the process, like, that all sounds great, but how are we going to get it done? Mm. Who's the best contractor to fabricate that? Who's the best uh, GC to run this project? You know, or where's the best site to do this project? You know, so we're always thinking through, like, the process of how we're going to get things done. Um, I met Lucas... um, you know, many years before I started the firm um, and pretty soon after starting, uh, reached out to him to say, like, I really think you need to be a part of this as well. He's yeah. one of the most talented people I've ever met in my life um, as a designer. So in, in many ways, he embodies the second leg of the school, which is that we are first and foremost a design firm. Mm. You know, if you're just looking to knock out some drawings or, you know, sort of get something done quickly, like we might not be the best fit for you. But if you're really looking for something um, with really thoughtful design and uh, you know a real perspective on history of architecture and richness of what design can be, like Lucas is the guy that's going to bring that together. Yeah. And the third leg, um, which is something I find a lot in Ross, is that we like to consider ourselves your in the no friend. You know, like Lucas said, uh, an architectural project can be a relationship that's at least going to be a year or two, but hopefully, you know, many years beyond that. So part of the reason we do so many second homes now in my career is that they're second homes for clients that I first met 20 years ago. And so to continue that relationship throughout life is something that's really valuable to me. And uh, in addition to directing our commercial and developer projects, uh, Ross is sort of our unofficial social director as well. <laughs> as, uh, he has skills beyond mine in terms of uh, making those conversations and connections keep going. Uh- I think that's something that
1: it's great when you have all of those things and you can say, okay, I have this person, this person, this person, but it's even better when those people can then inform the other people of of their leg of the stool, so to speak. And, and I think what you have here is really helping to foster that of like, I may be the design guy, but I also can be the social guy because I can support Ross in, in that. And, you know, if we're Doing a happy hour, I can be walking around and talking to people, even though that might not be my most comfortable area, or you know, in, in any of these things. And I think that um, what what is really awesome about what what you said is, like, maybe you didn't have the formal leadership training, but in the way that you do things here, like, I, I get the feeling that most days are leadership training for most people that work here. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, Ross, after joining the firm, can you tell me sort of what you've learned and how you've changed or grown
3: or or developed since you've um, come on and been a part of of the collaborative here? Yeah. So, um, I've been here at NMAS now about five and a half years. And um, overall, I was brought on to kind of tackle a problem that uh, Mike was not super comfortable uh, with which was a 40,000 square foot commercial tenant build out space. Yeah. Um, and Mike, I think, understood that now would be the time to kind of bring on someone with a little bit of a different expertise than himself and ultimately take some leadership behind it and mm. kind of see where it goes. Um, and I, I don't think we've really looked back since then. Uh, it was kind of our largest commercial project to date but um, I think it was a lot of fun because it was literally uh, started from a client that we worked with on the residential side that had us come in and then do his office. Mm. And uh, it's really great to see that that same client had enough trust and faith in us to really kind of scale and grow with um, him as he was able to kind of continue to build his little empire here in yeah. Chicago um, and to this day we are actually still working on projects with that client which has been I think a true testament to all the core values that we have here of like we really want to be your partner kind of from the start to the like finish. Yeah. Um, and I would say the way that I've grown is that Mike gave me the ability to kind of take on a lot of leadership um, and grow within the organization and I think overall that allows for the individuals of our team to really kind of feel connected to their work not necessarily just make it feel like it's a clock in clock out situation um and really just kind of all together grow in the direction of making chicago a more creative city a better built city a more fun city yeah um and i hope that shows through kind of the work that we've been
1: doing yeah, and one thing that we also know about Chicago is that it's a very diverse city. It's a city that has a history with diversity and, and some is uh, great and sort of forward-thinking and, you know, with the neighborhoods they can sometimes get um, segregated and, you know, people don't always go from one area to another. But, but um, Lucas, for you, this sort of diversity, it's one of those things like it's a hot-button
0: for every company
1: they they you know they have a maybe a diversity officer now or they do these diversity programs but for you sort of when you think about diversity and um, sort of how who you are and how you bring that to work because as you said it's it's no longer live or work they've kind of melded into each other so as you think about that um, how does this firm support you in what you hope to do and how you hope to bring other people who are like you or like other people um, into this and sort of make this field even better.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing we do internally is we really think of uh, ourselves kind of as a come as you are firm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we really try to embrace everyone's backgrounds, differences, perspectives. You know, everyone from Mike and I down to the intern, have design input on projects. And, you know, we're really, you know, sort of a big tent sort of group of people where we wanna learn from everyone and everyone has a way to contribute. And um, one of the things that is a challenge in architecture is it is historically not a very diverse uh, profession. Um, You know, the statistics on architecture are bad, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) And so one of the things that, you know, we try to support in the firm is, you know, opening our doors to whoever kind of wants to have a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. we've had staff members who've taught in the past and their students have come through and, um, you know, been able to have like access. Uh, I work with the LGBTQ Alliance for the AIA Chicago and, you know, there's been a lot of learnings and events there that we've tried to bring back to the office. Um, you know, one of the things that I've learned through that process is that, um, you know, there's of course, the, you have to be one to see one, you know, you have to, um, you know, have that organization and be visible and be vocal. But also there's a lot of, you know, using your own privilege to um, benefit those with less privilege. So one of the things we talk a lot of, about in my group is, you know, we have a certain amount of privilege and rights. Right. though as LGBTQ people, but although those are somewhat more under fire today than they have been. um, But, you know, it is our responsibility to, you know, create space for Uh, folks who have less visibility, have less privilege. And so we often will partner with and like sort of provide a platform for um, other groups like NOMA, which is the um, National Organization of Minority Architects or Architectos, which is a um, Latinx organization that focuses on the architecture profession and many more that are really doing like the actual boots on the ground work for people who are really Underrepresented, but also for the LGBTQ community, providing you know faces and resources, and you know a place to talk about an experience they may have had on a construction site or in their office. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's one of those things where it's like those are all things that we try to do outside the office, but also bring them to the office as much as possible, and just you know try to be you know open-minded, open-hearted, and open-door to as many opportunities as come our way yeah and yeah, that, that's awesome mike
1: um kind of closing us out here and building on that when when you started this how did you see the social responsibility of the firm and especially being so ingrained in the community what was your hope with with um and as far as what you wanted to be a, a, as a social And sort of not just diverse, but you know, as with your social responsibility here in Chicago and helping to grow this city in the direction that it wants to.
0: Well, I was particularly um, uh, struck with that responsibility when I started putting together the ideas for this building. Um, One thing that's unique about Logan Square is it hasn't developed as much as the other neighborhoods in Chicago. And there's a real uh, drive here in the community to make sure that, um, you know, decisions that are made going forward are done responsibly. Mm -hmm. So I really met an incredible group of people when I was getting this building approved. It's our uh, Logan Square zoning committee that um, actually has a lot of, you know, broader social ideas and, um, you know, agenda that they're trying to maintain here. And uh, once I get the building built and approved, I actually joined that committee. So we review any new projects that are proposed here in Logan Square. And it's a great organization of, you know, longtime Logan Square residents um, that are very sensitive to what's happening here in the future. So it's a really interesting place to be. You know, we're in a, a, a heat, one of the largest cities in the country, but I really appreciate that um, as a neighborhood, you know, we are, we're protecting our values here. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think that not only protecting, but you're really walking them out. You're growing them. You're, you're like they're they're changing as things change, but I think standing by them is really important. And 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 a lot of what just what we've seen here and what we've heard here, I think that that comes across so well. So I think that this three-legged stool that you've got it, it has to be a good foundation. There's so many architectural <laughs> things that I never really realized. I was like, I don't know how many times I said like building on that, um, but but I think it's just it's it's really. It's really great to, to hear about what you're doing and, and I hope that it continues to grow. Um, it's a great space and it's, it's been, thanks for inviting us, it's been so fun to be here and to learn about it and to film here. Um, but I really just hope that you get to continue to grow and continue to do your thing, because I, I think there's a lot of people who think architecture is really cool even if we don't understand exactly what it is. So, really neat, appreciate that.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming.
1: Yeah. Well, we want to thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. Be sure to visit Enmasse at designenmasse.com, design, or on their Instagram, where their handle is at Mass. You can also find more information on them, as well as listen to all the past episodes of the podcast on our website, www.bridgingchicago.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, where our handle is at bridgingchicago. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you again
0: soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center.